Hello everybody, this is Christian Massar again with another episode, the second episode of the miniseries about psychology and faith. If you'll remember from last week, we talked a bit about psychology and faith uh, itself and this idea of how, how compatible are psychology and faith. Psychology being sort of secular science and then religion or the, uh, theology kind of a some might even not even say really a science, though Thomas Aquinas would call it a, a kind of science, like a sort of a philosophical or a, maybe a metaphysical science. But so we looked a bit about how psychology and faith could be compatible, and some say that it that it might not be. But here in this second episode, we are going to talk about faith and the intellect. So how can faith interact with the mind, the rational mind. And so we will go right into it in just a little second here. But uh, I would like to apologize from uh, about the last week episode. I had windows open. Like I've been, I'm in a, I'm in a little, little, uh, little room here when I'm recording. So I tried like opening a door and opening a window to reduce some, reduce an echo effect. Right in the recording, but I realized that there were some maybe some motorcycles and vehicles <laughs> going on outside. Plus, it was a really great uh, war hot weather outside and everything, so it was very comfortable having the window open too. So, um, but I hope it didn't wasn't too distracting or anything. But uh, the window's closed now, uh, so but uh, I was able to edit most of the the. Uh, most offending noises such as the like the of the motorcycles and so on I was able to get rid of most of that but uh, but right now the windows are closed and also it's a little bit later in the day so it, we shouldn't have a problem with motorcycles zooming through the streets and so on and with that said let's dive right into faith and the intellect so how do Christian faith and the intellect interact if we define one's intellect as the framework of his or her thinking mind, psyche, and knowledge, how does religious faith fit into it? The simple answer is that faith indeed is very important to the intellect. Belief in God is an act of faith. And of course, when someone believes something, it becomes part of that person's knowledge, or their intellect. We shall examine other arguments to discover the relationship between Christian faith, and human intellect. Alvin Plantinga has, has studied the reasonability, re, reasonability of faith in his, in his book, Warranted Christian Belief. In chapter 6, he started with Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx's assertion that, quote, Christian and other theistic belief is irrational, end quote. Plantinga notes that according to this F and M complaint about about faith's irrationality, belief in God results from a quote corrupted or badly aimed intellect. According to this complaint, an atheist perceives faith as an quote illusion illusory light that leads to false knowledge. And this is what uh, Pope Francis has also pointed out. Friedrich Nietzsche also said that belief was the opposite of knowledge-seeking. Thus, Christian faith stifled the, quote, novelty and adventure out of life. The Catholic Pope Francis also says that, quote, faith came to be associated with darkness. And, and people came, began to see religion as non-objective, you know, irrational, you know, almost, maybe one might not say the word stupid, but some might. <laughs> And it is simply comforting 
to the Christian mind and emotions, these people asserted, these, these, this position asserted, so faith had little to do with actual human reason, human intellect, and human thinking. To counter the atheist argument, Plantinga uses what he calls the Aquinas-Calvin model, or the AC model, not ACDC. <laughs> Before we had the uh, F&M complaint, or Freud and Marx complaint, about uh, faith being irrational. But now Plantinga came up with the Aquinas-Calvin model, the AC model, to counter it. The premise of this is that everyone has a natural, ingrained sense of God. The great theologians Thomas Aquinas and John Calvin both believed in this idea. However, it has a biblical basis, as can be seen in Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul stated that God has made knowledge of himself evident to all, and creation points to God's existence. John Calvin referred to this inner sense of the divine as the sensus divinitus. This sense has a belief-producing power. Using the AC model, Plantinga shows that theistic belief can be, quote, basically true. What does it mean when something is basically true? This means that something is true in itself, and it does not need arguments or evidence from other propositions. Looking at the mountains or some other natural wonder can help one reach basic Christian belief. Think back to Romans 1, where God is said to be evident in nature. Plantinga states that there is no need to argue about how nature's beauty proves God. Rather, the mountain's majesty and one's sensus divinitus automatically lead together to a simple, uncomplicated, and, quote, basic belief in God. A similar basic belief may make this a bit more clear. A person sees that it is bright outside and automatically knows that the sun is up. No abstract argument is necessary, nor is a lot of thought. The sun is up. It's that simple. So when the sensus divinitus is activated, belief in God comes automatically. God exists. It's that simple. A person can believe this basic belief without a corrupted sense of reality because it was his or her inner sense of God that brought about this belief. But even if the AC model is true, even if theistic belief is basically true, is it warranted? In other words, it might be reasonable for one to believe in God because of an inner sensus divinitus, but does that mean that God truly exists? Plantinga states that the sensus divinitus often leads people to true religious knowledge. Thus, basic belief in God is warranted and justified. Okay, so now what? What happens then? He says that if, if quote, these beliefs are strong enough, then they constitute knowledge, end quote. Belief, as we saw earlier, becomes part of the intellect because it is ingrained and adds to the Christian's total knowledge. We can look to Christian scripture for its view of knowledge, which is a critical uh, concept in the Bible. The Bible says that while religious zeal may be a good thing, it loses value if there's no proper religious knowledge to go with it. You can see this in Romans 10, chap chapter 10, verse 2. In Colossians 1.10, the Apostle Paul says how he prays for the Colossian Christians, hoping that they, quote, grow in the knowledge of God. And finally, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 Peter 1.5 suggests that knowledge is part of spiritual development. Quote, 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Faith is the first step of the Christian's journey, but knowledge doesn't come far behind. Is the, quote, knowledge of God enough? No. After all, in the passage we just examined, faith came before knowledge. The sensus divinitus, which Plantinga suggests is activated through a sense of the natural world, is not enough either, simply for the fact that the natural world is not God. Quote, no created thing, such as a majestic mountain range, can serve as a means of union with God with respect to the intellect. This is because nothing in the created world, except Christ as God incarnate, can provide a link between the creator, God, and creatures. So, no one can reach God through nature or the closely related sensus divinitus. Then what does allow one to reach God at the truest, deepest level? It is this, the virtue of faith, that achieves this union between created humanity and the Creator. After all, faith is necessary to please God. Those interested in Christianity must, quote, believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is from Hebrews 11.6. If one does not believe in God, his or, he, his or her human intellect must be then persuaded or brought to belief. But many will argue as well that even faith is not enough in itself to, quote, reach God. Even James 2, James chapter 2, verse 19 of the Bible says, even the demons believe that there is one God and shudder. The ultimate consummation of, quote, basic warranted faith in God is the acceptance of salvation. There are many wildly different Christian interpretations of this process of salvation. This debate often divides Christendom into those that preach uh, faith alone. So this includes many Protestant groups and faith in sacraments, Catholicism and Orthodoxy, or something along the lines of only by grace through faith, but also by obedience to the gospel. This is uh, a belief you'll see about salvation in the Churches of Christ, for example. And those in the latter category, for example, will argue that though Christianity is not a works-based faith, belief also requires repentance from sin, acknowledgement and confession of Christ, baptism for the remission of transgression or sin, and faithfulness to the Christian faith until the end. And they will use verses like Acts 2.38, Romans 10.9, Ephesians 2.9, and James 1.12 in the Bible for proof of this. So in all of this, through this idea of uh, the, the AC model, uh, such as uh, Platinga has, has suggested, this idea of, of an innate sense of God's existence through nature, which is also de uh, described in the Bible, the idea of uh, uh, John Calvin's idea of the sensus divinitus, an inner sense of God, these can lead to a basic faith in, in God. And so faith and the intellect are very closely tied, especially when you consider that um, in Christianity and in other religions too, there's there's often a there's a sense of knowledge, there's a sense of study, a sense of enlightenment or life experience, something like this, and they feed into the intellect, into the person's rational mind. 
And so, despite atheistic arguments to the contrary, faith and the intellect are very closely tied. First, religious beliefs uh, entail religious knowledge, which again become part of the intellect. Second, knowledge is essential to is, uh, Christian or any religious development and growth, as we just said. And thirdly, the human intellect must be persuaded to accept God in a process of, of, of salvation. Or if one's intellect, or if one does not believe in God, that intellect must be persuaded to accept the existence um, and obedience, um, obedience to God. So these are some of the religious ideas about faith and the intellect. So faith and the intellect are very closely tied. And that pretty much wraps it up for this second little uh, episode of the Psychology of Faith series. So I hope you've enjoyed the episode uh, today. And if you want to go watch the, or listen, not watch, listen to the first episode, it was episode number 26 of the podcast, which we recorded last week. And until next time, I will be going on to another episode as well of this series um, to the third episode of this four-part series. And with that, thank you so much and be happy, keep learning, keep safe and healthy. Bye-bye.